Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Cipher, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter at No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. That is again at No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. No capitals and no spaces there, too. Now, we're still in that slow point of the offseason, which, of course, we all hate, but. I always love the NFL because it seems like there's always new news, even during these slow points of the season. There's still drama surrounding it, and I think that's not really something you get from some of these other sports like baseball, the NBA. Now, again, I don't really follow those leagues. Maybe there is a lot of news that you find when you're, you know, three weeks or three months into the NBA offseason, and all of a sudden you're getting some big news that I really don't know because I'm not even... I'm not even a casual fan of those leagues, so I, I really know next to nothing about them, pretty much. But with the NFL, as an NFL fan, you get so much content, even out of the beginning of the offseason, even out of the first three months, four months of the offseason, you're getting free agency, contract extensions, contract arguments, Teams holding out away from players, players holding out away from teams, the draft coming up. I mean, there's just so much. There is so much. And then now we're in that point of the offseason where we look back at all these amazing moves that were made during free agency, during the draft, before free agency, some of the contracts that teams should have gave their players. Now we get to look back at all this stuff from a realistic perspective. Instead of being like, oh, wow, that... Aaron Rodgers trade just happened, so I'm so excited to talk about this from a really exaggerative, I don't even know if that's a word, perspective. Instead of looking at it from some perspective, really trying to just squeeze a lot of news out of it, now we get to look back at it from, you know, a way more calm perspective. We've had some time to digest this blockbuster trade. Now let's look at it. And there's so many different things we get to look at through this new, way more calm lens, right? And one of the things that I want to look at, now that we had a little bit more time to digest it, is the Detroit Lions' first draft pick that everyone was criticizing. I mean, drafting Jameer Gibbs, the second best running back on most people's boards, in the first round, in the top 15, if you're a team like Detroit and you already have a good running back on your roster, you know, that, that'll confuse a lot of people, and a lot of people didn't like that move. Now, I've always been one to say, okay, let's hold back our criticism at least a little bit. Now, I'm not going to act like the pick was the greatest thing since sliced bread, and the Lions are just absolute geniuses, and everyone is wrong with all their criticisms, because a lot of the stuff they're criticizing about it is right. I do think there's a lot of questions about how well Jameer Gibbs will fit into this offense because they kind of already have everyone that will play the position that Jameer Gibbs will play. And, you know, you don't spend a first-round pick on a third-down back. And right now, that's looking like what they drafted Jameer Gibbs to be, which doesn't make sense because it's not like they're that complete of a roster. This is a team that didn't even make the playoffs last year. They're not complete enough to be drafting a third down back in round one with a top 15 pick. That That's just, no, that doesn't make any sense. Jameer Gibbs is the, a very talented player, though. Okay, there's no denying that. I think everyone that watched the guy play knows he's a very talented kid. All right? And that's why I was always a little bit like, okay, let's hold their criticism at least a little bit. Because this isn't some team that doesn't know what they're doing. Okay, I know that they're the Detroit Lions, but recently they've seemed to be building a good structure. Okay, and I don't think they're just throwing that all to the sides because they wanted a flashy running back. No. Okay, they have a plan. I want to talk to you guys about what that plan might be. Jameer Gibbs has been lining up at receiver in OTAs. And the question is starting to come up. How exactly is this kid going to be used? 
And only time will tell. All we could do is really try and predict. Brad Holmes might not even know how Jameer Gibbs will be used, right? No one knows. In time, we're going to find out, and Brad Holmes definitely has some ideas, and I'm going to try and speculate what those ideas might be. Gibbs is going to be their athlete that can line up anywhere and threaten to take the ball to the house on any given play. His speed, his ability to operate in open space, it's just phenomenal. It is unreplicatable what this guy can do when he has the ball in his hands, okay? It is a very rare trait of his. And that's why so many scouts in the league were so high on the kid. I mean, there were some, not saying I agree with these people, but apparently there were some NFL scouts that saw Jameer Gibbs as the RB1 in the same draft class as B. John Robinson, who a lot of people are saying is a generational running back prospect. But a lot of people saw Jameer Gibbs as a better prospect. A lot of scouts. I don't agree with them, but apparently people do think that. And it's not like these are nobodies. Again, these are NFL scouts. Okay? They have every right to think whatever they want to think. And they have reason to think that clearly because they don't just get their jobs for no reason. Now, I can't really get on board with whatever logic, but one thing's for sure. B. John Robinson, if you really want to point out kind of a nitpick, one aspect of his game that he doesn't really offer to you, it's the breakaway speed. It is the ability to just get the ball and take it 80 yards to the house. He can't really do that. He doesn't really have the speed. Jameer Gibbs, you watch him play, He that's the first thing that pops out. So maybe that's why the scouts might have liked him more because that's something they really look for in running backs. And Gibbs definitely has that. Like I said, it is unreplicatable what this guy can do. It is one of one in terms of what this guy can do in the open field. In terms of what he could do, just, again, taking the ball, catching it on the Detroit 25, and then taking it all the way to the other end zone. It's crazy, and he has the ability to do that on any play. He's a home run threat at his finest. And that's something that Detroit needs. Detroit wants to be able to make more big plays, especially with Jameson Williams potentially missing time. And listen, you want to compete in today's league? You want to play against the Kansas City Chiefs in week one and beat them in week one? You're going to be able to, you got to be able to make big plays. You got to. And. Adding someone like Jameer Gibbs increases your ability to do that. Whether that's from the slot position, the backfield, possibly outside receiver, maybe that's what they do with him. That's besides the point. He adds a tremendous amount of value to this team as a versatile home run threat. The value is very clearly there. Okay, the ability to just make big plays, that's something that teams look for nowadays. In the first round, you know, they're looking for that superb talent that can just make spectacular plays. Be that game breaker. That's what they're looking for in round one. And Jameer Gibbs is that. The value's there. The question remains, though, where is he going to play? How does he fit into this offense? We know what Jameer Gibbs is good at, but we just look at Detroit, and we're like, okay, yeah, I get what he can do that the rest of the team really can't, but where is he going to be doing that? When is he going to be doing that? It looks like there's just too many mouths to feed on this offense. They already have one of the NFL's top slot receivers, Amon Ross St. Brown, who took 70% of his career snaps in the slot. And they drafted a tight end that mainly should be playing the jumbo slot role. Although he's much like Gibbs, extremely versatile and can be used in many ways. I'm talking about Sam Laporta, by the way. So assuming that those two play 
in the spots that they're most comfortable, which is Amon Ross St. Brown in the slot, and then Sam Laporta also in the slot, in a two-by-two spread formation where you have two slot receivers, it's still difficult for Jameer to get on the field as a slot receiver. So I think it's safe to kind of cross slot receiver off. I don't think he's going to be doing much of that. At least it seems unlikely because if they want to do that, they have to bump either Amon Ra or Sam Laporta, who I believe will be their starting tight end, out of where they're comfortable. Sam Laporta isn't going to line up as a traditional tight end, or at least not often. And then Amon Ra, I mean, this guy has been dominant from the slot. You're not moving him from there. At least I don't think it would be overly smart. Although, again, he can play outside. It's just he's much worse. You're not getting the same, like, oh, my God, this kid's a stud that you would be getting from him in the slot. Like, Cooper Cup could play outside, but you mainly want him in the slot because that's really where he starts to pick defenses apart. That's how you get the most value out of him. So I, I don't think slot is really going to be something we see much. How about his main position, running back? He's listed as a running back. How about we talk about that? Well, he should mainly be playing the third down back role, and he's capable of it. We know that. With his receiving ability, he's absolutely capable of being the third down back for this team. But you don't spend a first rounder on a timeshare running back that's only going to be on the field for third downs and occasionally at slot. You don't do that. No matter how good they are, you're not doing that unless you're a team that is complete at every single spot, and Detroit is not. Not to mention, Montgomery is very capable of playing the third down back role if they wanted him to. Now, Jameer might be better at it, but Montgomery is extremely capable of playing the third down back role. I mean, it's shown by his 130 career catches since his sophomore season in 2020, which is the 10th most out of running backs during that time frame, by the way, from 2020 to 2023. Or to today, David Montgomery has the 10th most catches out of running backs with 130. So he is capable of playing the third down back role, and he's a good blocker, too. However, I still expect Jameer Gibbs to be the third down back for this team. It's just, you didn't really need that. So did the Lions just draft a upgrade, not even an immediate need at third down back, an upgrade at third down back in the first round when they're not that complete of a roster when they're a team that missed the playoffs last year. You're telling me that with a top 15 pick, they took a third down back, even though their running back is capable of being a third down back? That that can't be right. No team in their right mind would do that. Well, I don't think that that was their mentality with this pick. I, I really don't. That's definitely the floor for the pick, okay? Worst case scenario, they just have a third down back. That's the worst case scenario. However, knowing Brad Holmes, knowing just how smart he is, having confidence in him after the absolute masterclass of a season offensively that Detroit had last year, I like to hope that Brad Holmes... A very, very smart, creative offensive coordinator has a brilliant and distinct vision for this offense. And a key part of that was the decision to bring in Jameer Gibbs in round one. Bringing in this one-of-one one talent, this explosive athlete that can, once again, just take a ball from the 25-yard line to the end zone on any given play. That was key 
for him to do what he wants to do with his offense. I think that's very clear. Now, it's hard for me exactly to pinpoint exactly how he will be used. Again, no one knows. I would be surprised if anyone except Brad Holmes and other people in that Detroit organization know how he's going to be used. But if I really had to guess, going off their decisions during this offseason, right, going off the decision to draft Sam Laporta, a tight end slash jumbo slot slash outside receiver slash H-back, and Jameer Gibbs, a running back that's also a slot receiver, it seems like Holmes is going to be one of the leaders in this positionless player movement that seems to be the future of the league, at least offensively. It really seems like he's trying to build his team to be one of those. One of those, oh yeah, this guy is a slot receiver one play, and then the next play they'll be playing outside. And then, oh, Jamison Williams, yeah, he can play in the slot, he can play outside. He can line up all over, and oh, now we're going to have Amon Ross St. Brown in the backfield for some reason, and look, Jameer Gibbs is there on the line of scrimmage. Sam Laporta, at, 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 Sam Laporta at outside receiver. They're going to be doing all that stuff. Sorry, I stuttered a bit. Laporta at, you know, trying to say that fast. It's a little bit of a tongue twister with a vowel. I don't know, that was just really weird. But they have all these players that can just line up everywhere. But here's what I find weird. When we talk about Atlanta doing the positionless player movement, when we talk about Atlanta having three different running backs, two of them can play wide receiver and running back. That's fine. That's, in fact, brilliant team building. But when Detroit does it, when Detroit does that exact same thing, oh my God, Detroit back to being Detroit. Lions gonna lion. Keep the same logic. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Especially, especially because we know Brad Holmes is a good offensive coordinator. The Falcons offensive coordinator, yeah, I have much less confidence. There's a big difference here. In terms of how these two situations are treated. Yet they're really damn similar. This pick and the B. John Robinson pick are very similar. I like B. John Robinson more and I like that pick more. But I think this pick has a lot of similarities to that pick that the Falcons made. Yet this one is getting treated way worse. And I really don't get it. I don't. Jameer Gibbs is a one-of-one one talent. They wanted to add that. Maybe they don't have the positional opening, but they'll make it. Brad Holmes is smart. He's creative. He likes to have a distinct offense, okay? He will find a way to make this work. They're probably going to use him for a lot of screen passes because you get a receiver like that or you get a weapon like that. He's not a receiver. He's not a running back. He's a weapon. You get a weapon like that. And then you get him in the open field out there with lead blockers in front of him on a screen pass. Oh, man, good things are going to happen. The mid screens are going to be dangerous. That's 100%. He's going to be lining up all over the field. That's really what I expect. Again, only time will tell. Maybe they're currently just teaching Amon Ra to get used to that outside receiver role because that's where he's going to be. Maybe they're making Laporta a better blocker somehow and then they're going to be able to just have him as a traditional tight end and then use Jameer Gibbs as the slot on the other side you know it, there's a whole bunch of stuff that they could do here again that would have to be at an empty formation what I just said so even that is tough but yeah it's definitely a really really interesting situation Detroit has going but I am very confident I really do think though if I gun to my head I had to predict how it's going to be I think it's going to be a positionless offense a whole bunch of players lining up all over the place very difficult to go against because no one really 
knows who's going to line up where. It's really difficult to make matchups that way. So, so again, I, I don't love the Jameer Gibbs pick either, but I think it's getting a little bit more hate than it deserves, in all honesty. I think we kind of have to wait on this one. This is one of those picks we have to wait and see. I know we could say that about every pick, but this is one of them we really have to. Okay. Like, I know that I could say that about the Will McDonald pick because he could, in theory, have 20 sacks this year. No. It's bad process, that one. But this one, I feel like, again, we don't know the process here. We we don't. We have to wait and see what they're trying to do. What their thought process is. We don't know. Now, again, it's kind of hard to just guess the thought process for a pick like the Will McDonald pick, but when you look at context, when you look at even what Salah said to Will McDonald, we're able to tell, oh, they're just confident that when you line him up in the right spot, he'll all of a sudden become a stud. But with this one, we really have no idea what their plan is. No idea. Now, speaking of running backs, here's a guy that was also considered a generational, you know, absolute stud running back when he got drafted. Saquon Barkley. Recent news coming out with him. He hasn't been showing up to OTAs. Franchise year for him, right? He's on the franchise tag. That's why I mean when I say franchise year. He was supposed to get a contract in a lot of people's minds. A lot of people expected him to get, you know, a, a long-term deal. But instead, they gave him the franchise tag. And we all know why running backs hate the franchise tag, but in case you don't, let me inform you, right? Running backs in today's league, everyone knows. No one wants to pay a running back long-term. You don't want to be stuck with a running back. You don't want to bind yourself to a running back. Because, well, they're replaceable. There's a, there is a bunch of starting caliber running backs in this league. It is very easy to just walk into a draft, draft someone in round five, and there you're starting running back for the next three years. And they'll be good, too. Now, they might not be one of the tippity-top guys, but running backs, let's say that you were to rank the running backs. Let's say you rank the top 40. A lot of the time, running backs, let's say... 8 to 40 are really close in terms of how much value they add. And then, of course, you have the top 7 that are just far and away, you know, really adding value to their team. But even them. I mean, you look at the last time a team won a Super Bowl because they're running back. It's been a while. It has. In fact, you look at the recent Super Bowl teams, you look at, like, the last five, a lot of these teams are committees the Patriots dynasty was a dynasty led by committee backfields backfields that didn't have an a thousand yard rusher an entire dynasty the greatest dynasty in NFL history never had a lead back what does that tell you and now this year right the Chiefs they were switching up their running backs I mean Pacheco was very good but he was also a seventh round pick but they were still switching up their guys. It was him, Jarek McKinnon, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. They were switching between their guys. And then the Eagles, Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott a little bit. Like, we saw all of them. Then let's look at the year before that, right? Rams using Cam Akers. Daryl Henderson, Sony Michelle, then the Bengals, they had Mixon. Okay, they had a legitimate lead back. They're one of the few exceptions. Look a year before that. I'm kind of just going to be giving you guys like the past five Super Bowls really quick, just to really hammer my point in. A point that has really been done to death. I really think everyone knows this, but just in case you don't, 
I'm just giving you a brief history lesson to really prove my point. So, the year before that, that was Buccaneers, who had Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. Both of them were splitting. Maybe once they got to playoffs, it wasn't really as much of a split. But still, they weren't really paying either big money. And then the Chiefs, which were also a committee. Okay. Year prior to that, 49ers, committee. And then the Chiefs. Still, committee. I mean, you just keep going. You, if you want to keep looking, keep looking. But you'll see, it's all these teams that aren't paying a running back big bucks that don't even have a lead running back because you don't need one. You could just bring in a couple of undrafted guys, a couple of late-round picks, and you have your backfield. No one wants to waste their money. Not to mention, a lot of the time you pay a running back big money, and then, oh, they fall off a cliff. Oh, they suck all of a sudden. Oh, they're getting injured all the time. Running backs don't have the shelves, self lives. Self lives. Sorry. That they used to. Just that simple. They just don't. They don't last long enough for them to be worth paying. Yet, if you are a running back, obviously, you'll want to get paid. Everyone in this league wants to get paid. So Saquon Barkley, this is a guy that has been injured his fair share of times throughout his career. This is a guy that had his team on his back pretty much the entire year, at least the offense. This is a guy that was healthy this year. Did a damn good job. He wants to get paid now. Because he knows if he doesn't. If he doesn't. He plays next year. He tears his ACL. You're lucky if you even find a job. And if you do find a job after that. Then you're getting paid. I don't know. Five million per year. Meanwhile right now. You're hoping to go for like 15 million per year. Which is. No one's going to pay you that. But. I mean hey. You're playing well enough to deserve that money. Saquon's on the franchise tag right now, though, which means he's technically on the team. Franchise tag is a contract that the player cannot decline. A player cannot be given a franchise tag and then just be like, nope, I don't want it. They have to play under a franchise tag if you're giving it. The, the league only gives each team one franchise tag per year. The Giants chose to use it on Saquon Barkley, whose contract ran out. They didn't want him to become a free agent, so they gave him the franchise tag. So he's still getting paid, but it's just a one-year deal. It is a one-year deal that is the average of the top three highest-paid players at your position. So he's still getting paid, although it's only for one year, and that's his problem. He wants to lock in a four-year deal before he plays under this one-year deal and then gets injured. And then all of a sudden, now I'm getting way less money than if I were to have gotten an extension this offseason, after I balled out, after I was fully healthy. And it makes sense from his perspective. It does. But if you're a team, you don't you don't want to give him that deal. Are you kidding? Because the same reason that Saquon doesn't want to play under the tag is exactly why you got to keep him on the tag. It's a business. It is. Saquon's a great player, and the Giants have love for you. I live in New York. Giants fans love the guy. However, they sure as hell won't love him if they're paying him $15 million per year, and he sucks because he's coming off his second ACL tear. No one's going to love him then. The reality is Barkley has been banged up a decent amount in his career. He wants to agree to a long-term deal before he could potentially get injured again. You can't get mad at him for it. But again, the Giants really just don't have a reason to. No, their reason is to prevent him from holding out. But in order for him to actually get this deal, if the Giants actually give him a deal, it's going to be because Saquon kind of, I don't want to say man's up, but Saquon kind of, you know, is willing to take that extra step in the negotiation process, put his foot down and just hold out, not play under the franchise tag. That's really the only way. 
Because if you're just voicing, you know, frustration with the team, that's not going to get it done. The Giants are just going to be like, okay, that's fine. Just keep voicing frustration with us. We're just going to, you know, keep you on the roster. We're going to really have you carry the team. And then when it's time to pay you, then maybe we'll just give you another franchise tag. Or maybe we'll just let you walk because we know you're going to get injured sometime soon. He's just at that age where he's going to get injured soon. That's just how it works at running back. It's too much of a risk to try and pay him. Too much. If I'm the Giants, I stay strong and don't give in. He's a great player who is vital to the offense, but it is extremely difficult for me to believe them obliging to his demands would be a smart move. He turned down a $13 million per year deal, which I already think is too much. But then again, if they constructed it with void years, then all of a sudden I like it a lot more. That didn't come out public, though, because the deal obviously didn't get accepted. But he's aware of his importance to the team, so he thinks he can get more money out of it. I wouldn't try my luck if I'm Saquon. Because, again, the... The amount of leverage that running backs have in this league today, very minuscule. Very minuscule. Because paying them just doesn't work out. And that deal probably lacked ideal guarantees. It probably did. And that also scared him off. Everyone and their mom knows not to pay running backs. And that's why the Giants aren't going to do it. Smart move by them. But Saquon trying to get his money, you know, I, I completely get it. I wouldn't be surprised if he holds out. And then the Giants are pretty much forced to oblige. Or they could not. I think not obliging is the smart call. You have a really tough schedule. Even with Saquon, you probably miss the playoffs just because of the difficulty of the schedule. I would let him, you know, hold out, do whatever he wants to. Saquon doesn't strike me as the type of person that would hold out. But if he does, which I get, I wouldn't, I would not. Obey his demands. Now I want to talk about another New York player. That is having a contract dispute. Another absolute stud. Who is young. And. Coming up on free agency. Still under contract right now though. Quinion Williams. Man this guy's good. Quinion Williams I think is debatably the best. Interior defensive lineman in the entire sport right now. However, he isn't getting paid like it yet because he's still on his rookie deal. The Jets sort of rushed to pay him, though. But now, at Oliver receiving an absurd contract makes it much harder for the Jets to save money in this negotiation process. It just becomes much harder for them. Williams, like I said, is debatably the best interior defensive lineman in the league. Yet, Deron Payne, Dexter Lawrence, Jeffrey Simmons, Javon Hargrave, and now Ed Oliver all got paid big bucks this offseason before he did. Which you would think would help him, but now he's demanding the money higher than all of those guys, and he's not getting it. Williams wants to get paid more than Jeffrey Simmons' $23.5 million per year deal. And I don't blame him because he's a better player than Jeffrey Simmons, who is also a great player, right? Jeffrey Simmons, in his own right, great player. Quinny Williams deserves to get paid more. Absolutely. I don't think anyone's going to deny that. And he has every right to fight for that bag. He definitely does. He is absolutely superb. I hope he gets that deal. But the Jets, you know... Seems to be a distraction from what should be a Super Bowl year for them, apparently. At least that's what ever, at least that's what everyone is saying about them. I don't believe they will be a Super Bowl team, but you never know. Williams is going to be a key part of that if they do make it to a Super Bowl, though. Absolute key part. And if they want to maintain him, well, they, they got to give him that contract. They gotta give him the big bucks. They're yet to do it. Hopefully they get a deal done soon because they don't want this to linger into the start of next season. 
Because all of a sudden, that becomes a talking point. And you don't want that. When you're really trying to make a run for the Super Bowl, you do not want a star player, a key player's contract to be a part of that discussion. To be, you know, oh man, we just lost our first game of the season. And what's this? Someone is asking our star player about his contract. You don't want that. Or even you're winning games, and now Quinn Williams kind of ruins the momentum by talking about some offseason stuff. Like, yeah, that's a problem. You don't want that. You want to get this done. You want to deal with this before the season starts. They got to. And listen, the more you wait, the more these guys like Ed Oliver are going to start getting paid, and that's only going to make Quinn Williams want more money. I really don't know why they waited so long to pay him. But they're still waiting, and that's what should be worrying them. They gotta just bite the bullet and just pay him, right? Sure, it's a lot of money. I know $25 million per year, which is probably what he's gonna get, is a lot of money. But <laughs> Williams is worth it, man. Getting the pass rush, getting the run-stopping ability that Williams offers, I mean, it's worth $25 million per year, in my opinion. Deron Payne was fine getting paid right? Washington was fine paying him. Dexter Lawrence got paid by the Giants. Jeffrey Simmons got paid by the Titans. Although I guess the Titans aren't really a contending team. The 49ers were fine paying Javon Hargrave and they're a, competi- they're a competitive team. Why aren't the Jets willing to pay Quinn Williams? And let's say he has another big year. Then you're only paying him more money. I just don't get it. Really makes no sense to keep waiting. Anyway, I want to move on to the last topic for today. Should be a relatively shorter episode, by the way. But I want to talk about a little bit more of a fun topic. Not really news-related, just kind of a ranking. Second-year breakouts. So, seven players that were rookies last year that I think are just going to take a major step up this year on the offensive side of the ball. All these guys are relatively known. None of these guys really rode the bench last year. I'm just going to jump right into it with my number seven, George Pickens, Pittsburgh wide receiver. NFL young boy, as some people call him. I mean, we saw some of the catches this guy made last year, right? He He's tremendous in terms of what he could do, in terms of the ways that he could just stretch his body out and just make ridiculous catches. I mean, the catches this guy made were insane time after time after time. He was a physical specimen. And he's a good route runner, I think, too. It's just, he didn't really get too much opportunity. And the nuances of the game aren't quite there for him yet. But I think another year in the NFL are really going to help him. It really will. I think his chemistry with Kenny Pickett, who will now be going into his second year, is also going to be much better. I just think everything is only going to be better. He's going to get more opportunity, all that good stuff. The offensive line is a better unit, meaning that George Pickens is going to have more time to go downfield and then make these ridiculous catches. I absolutely think that George Pickens is going to be a major breakout for this team that needs a spark on the offensive side of the ball. They haven't had a stud wide receiver since A.B. left. Now it's time for the new A.B. in Pittsburgh. George Pickens, physical specimen, love him. He's going to be great. I'm expecting a big year from him. But then my next guy is a tight end, someone that has only got high praise from Sean Payton, Greg Dolchik. This guy kind of came out of nowhere last year. When he came back from injury, he caught, I don't remember if it was one or two touchdowns, but I know he caught at least one touchdown in his first game back. At that moment, we kind of knew, like, this guy, he's good. And I'm expecting him to be a good player. And Sean Payton praising him really gives me high hopes for him. I I really think that's going to be big. I'm not expecting this guy to become fucking George Kittle. But I think he's going to be a solid tight end for years. Okay? Maybe even better than just solid. I I think maybe we find this guy in, like, top seven category. I think he's going to be a good, reliable tight end for this team that doesn't really have a distinct wide receiver one. Maybe just having a bunch of options that are just okay 
at different things, such as Dolchus, Dolkic, who will be the, you know, mid just security blanket for them. I think that's what he's going to be. He's going to be that middle of field option for them. I think he's going to do a good job. Now, I know Russell Wilson doesn't really like to target the middle of the field, but Sean Payton's going to teach him to target the middle of the field. We know that because Sean Payton loves to pick defenses apart through the middle. I think Dolkic is going to be big for that. He should do a good job at, like I said, being the security blanket for Russell Wilson, who takes too long to throw the ball. Maybe a big part of teaching him to not do that will be throwing the ball more to Greg over here. He's a good blocker, too. He adds to the offense in that way. He's just overall just a well-rounded tight end. Again, Sean Payton giving him praise makes me really optimistic because this is a team that really doesn't have like a standout weapon, and maybe Greg Dolchich will be that guy. Very possible. So I'm expecting a decent year from him. I think he should be a big breakout just because, again, I'm expecting volume here. I am. I'm not saying this guy will be the most physically, oh my God, the plays he's making are insane, but I think people are going to look and be like, Damn, this guy was having, like, a consistent seven catches a game. Like, this guy was just a consistent key part of this Broncos offense that sucked last year, and now all of a sudden it's good. A key part of that is just going to be, you know, the common easy throws to Dolkic. Dolchich. <laughs> I struggle with that last name a little bit, but I'm expecting him to have a pretty good year. But someone that I expect to have like a dominant impact at the tight end position is Chigosium Okawankwo. That's a name I struggle with less than Dolchich for some reason. <laughs> uh but this is a guy, even though his last name and his first name just kind of scare you off, like who the hell is this guy? Is a really random name. He has talent, man. I know it was really hard to watch Tennessee games last year. But, man, he was one of the few parts of the team that made you like, oh, man, I actually want to watch a Titans game this year. Him and Derrick Henry, like, were the offense once Tannehill went down. Okawankwo, he's a Swiss Army knife that runs a diverse route tree. He's great after the catch, great ball skills, and just does it all as a receiving weapon. He needs to improve consistency as a blocker, and that's kind of one of the advantages that I think Dolchich has over him. But I think Okawankwo, just what he offers as a pass catcher is tremendous. This is a team that needs pass catchers too because their wide receiver core is kind of bad. Not kind of, it's just objectively terrible. Okawankwo, though, he's someone that can run a bunch of different routes, get separation. He can make plays after the catch. He can make those tough catches too. He's just overall everything you really want from a pass catching tight end. Really, really impressive player to have. I'm a big fan of him. I just, again, he opens so much stuff for your offense because he could do so much from the tight end position. He can. And the thing that sucks is kind of the team he's on. It doesn't fit his skill set too much. You know, they want to run the ball a lot, and Okawankwo isn't overly great at that, and that kind of hinders his play time. But I do think they're going to realize, oh, shit, we're a team that just doesn't have good receivers. We need a legitimate receiving weapon. So you know what? Okawankwo, we're going to rely on you a lot. And I think it's going to work out well for them, okay? So overall, Okawankwo, expecting another big season from him. But these next four, these are the four that I'm like, oh, man. They're going to break out and, like, become top ten in their position. Like, absolute studs. Except tight end is different. Those guys, I expect both of them to become top ten in their position. But that doesn't really mean too much. It's really the top four is where you really become impressive. But... Becoming a top 10 offensive tackle, that's a big, big accomplishment. And I expect Iki Iquana, who is my number four, to become a landmark offensive tackle. This guy absolutely mauled people in college, like consistently. And he was good last year, but I'm expecting the guy to become like incredible, dominant this year. I really think he's just going to put it all together. 
Again, we saw flashes of this guy being a stud just mauling people last year. Although, yet again, Panthers games were tough to watch. But if you did and you watched Aquanu just maul people, I mean, you know this guy can kill, right? But I think he's going to take that step towards becoming consistently dominant instead of just sometimes he's going to really pop off and then other times he'll be just okay. I think he's going to consistently just kill people, all right? And that's going to be the big thing with him, consistency. And that's something I'm expecting to see. Not just him doing his job. I want to see him pave lanes wide open. And I think he has the ability to do that. He has the physical presence. He has the strength. He really has a lot of the stuff that you want to see from an offensive lineman. And I think he's really just going to put it together in year two. This guy, like I said, stud in college. Should only be getting better. And I think year two will just be a big step for him. Especially, they're going to be relying on him a lot now. You know, you're protecting a young quarterback, a rookie quarterback. You know, we really need to take that next step. I think he's very capable of it, and I think he will. Number three, a running back, Damian Pierce. Ken Walker, we all know, is good. Brees Hall, even though he got injured, we all know is good. Damian Pierce, though, I feel like some people still overrate. Some people still underrate. I'm sorry. On the offensive line, they brought in Shaq Mason. That's a big deal. Zion Johnson's taking another step forward on the offensive line for them. I just overall think that this Texans offensive line is much better for them. Much better. They have Laramie Tunsil, like I said. Shaq Mason is a stud for them. They drafted a guard last year. I just said Zion Johnson, but then I remember that that's actually the Chargers guy. Kenyon Green is who I confused him with. They both got drafted within three picks of each other. You can't blame me for that one. <laughs> Juice Scruggs, they brought him in. They just have young offensive linemen and then Laramie Tunsil, who's the highest paid offensive tackle in the entire NFL. Okay. Tyus Howard, right tackle. Overall, just that offensive line is a good unit, especially for a rebuilding team. Damian Pierce, he loves to run through people. He might not do too much in the passing game, but I don't think he needs to. They're going to rely on him when they do have leads so they can seal that lead away. So they could keep the clock running, keep running the ball, four yards, four yards, four yards. This is a guy that will carry four people on his back and then just keep running. I don't even think it's going to be much of Damian Pierce taking a step up as a player. It's just going to be more opportunities for him because they're going to be winning more. More blocking. Better blocking because guys like Kenyon Green, who is not Zion Johnson, let me remind you, <laughs> they're going to take steps forward. They're young guys. Shaq Mason being there. Big step. Overall, it's just going to be a lot better. Maybe they do a little bit of, you know, read option with CJ Stroud. He didn't run too much in college, but he definitely has the ability to. Pierce is a guy that just shows so much effort when he's running. And I think surrounding him with the right offensive lineman, giving him more opportunity, can only benefit him. I really stand by it. Pierce is going to be a stud in my mind. Now, my number two. These two guys I, I love. Right, My number two is a player I think is going to be the best out of these seven next year. But my number one I just have taking a bigger step forward, I guess. Chris Olave, I think, is going to... You know how everyone considers like Garrett Wilson? Oh, my God. He's the best wide receiver for out of all the rookies by a long shot, I think that's wrong because Olave should be decently close to him. It's not the longest shot ever. Now, I do still think if you think Olave is currently better, you're wrong. However, I think next year, the two of them are both going to take a major step forward and become elite. But Garrett Wilson is already close to elite. Chris Olave is kind of a tier below Wilson right now. All right? But I think next year, the two of them together are really just going to take a massive step and just become elite. The difference is Olave is further away from elite at the moment. So, that's obviously a bigger step. Olave, man, all the skills that you think that Garrett Wilson has, Olave has them too. But Olave has superb speed alongside it. His route tree, his route running overall, amazing, amazing. You know, his hands... Very good. Ball skills, absurdly great. Just overall understanding of the game, amazing. This guy is a complete receiver. This guy is a dominant receiver. Chris Olave, man. 
it sucks he's on an irrelevant Saints team, but having Derek Carr to throw on the ball instead of Andy Dalton, I think that's going to be massive for him. Maybe a healthy Michael Thomas to be able to teach him how to use this great route running that he has. He has some ability after the catch. Just a lobby is a complete package at wide receiver. You'd love to see it. Give that to a quarterback like Derek Carr. I'm expecting great, great things here. Chris Olave, like I said, I think he's going to be an elite receiver at the end of next year. But then my number one is also a receiver, Jahan Dotson. I don't think he's going to be elite, but I do think he's going to be like just outside of that top 12 receiver conversation. But that's still a big step for the guy. That is. Olave is phenomenal. I think he's going to be better, but Dotson is going to take a bigger step up. Dotson is going to establish himself as one of the best wide receiver ones in the entire NFL. And part of that is Eric the Enemy, who knows how to use guys like Dotson. Part of that is just Dotson becoming a better player. And he was already great last year. Highly efficient in terms of getting separation. There's not many receivers that were better at getting separation than him. Okay, Dotson is one of the best at that just because of his speed, his route running, his just straight-up twitchiness. And then he can make some absurd plays after the catch. you got to just love this kid and what he's able to do. Just a stereotypical slot that does all the right stuff very, very well. Superb route runner. He's really just a very complete package that you love to see. Biennemi's going to love him. Terry McLaurin's going to love having him to complement his play style. It should just be phenomenal the step up that this kid takes. So, to recap, I have George Pickens as my number seven, Greg Dolchich as my six. My number five is Chigozium Okawankwo, tight end on Tennessee. My number four is Iki Aquanu, number three, Damian Pierce, number two, Chris Olave, and number one, Jahan Dotson. I hope that you all enjoy this episode of the Go Line Podcast. I'll see you all again next week. Next week, I'm finally going to be done with school. Like, as of the time that I'm recording, I would have just finished my final final. So, that's great. I'm very excited for that. I'm going to be able to focus way more on this podcast. I'm planning on getting a theme song out for you guys decently soon. I hope that you all enjoyed. If you want more of my content, check out No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter at No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. That is, again, at No Huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces with an underscore at the end. If you want to listen to the podcast again next week, which I highly recommend, obviously, might even have a guest on, it's going to be next Wednesday. And if anything changes, check out my Twitter because I always post if anything causes a delay. I hope you all enjoyed, and I'll hopefully see you all next week.